This podcast is brought to you by Bonus Room Productions, and we own this town. I am Jason T. Mears, Esquire. I'm Kelly Oil Bullock. And we are San Dimas Today. How's it going, Kelly? Hey, JT. Just keeping it calm, looking at the blue sky out the window. It's beautiful fall weather. It's the middle of November. Thanksgiving's coming up. Time to maybe not be with your family, but still time to be celebrate and be thankful for everything. Yeah. Lot to lot to live for. Lot to live for. Lot lot of good things going on in the world. Um, You want to know what one of the best things going on in the world is? Yes. Our interview with actor William Sadler. Guys, uh, we could spin this for you, but just take a listen. Excellent! Bill Sadler, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, You're very welcome. I'm glad to be here. Uh, If we could just start off, we'd love to hear how you initially got involved in acting. I grew up on a farm just outside of Buffalo in a town called Orchard Park. I spent my whole childhood running around in this barn. We didn't have video games, but my friends from down the road, John Messer and I would we would just make up stories. We'd make, we'd, we'd pretend to be the guys from combat, you know, from, uh, from whatever TV show we had just watched or movie we had just seen. We'd run around the barn and dive out of the hayloft and with our BB guns and come up shooting. And, uh, then <laughs> I guess we, when we outgrew that, I, I started doing, um, stand up comedy in, uh, uh, somewhere in high school, I joined a folk group. Um, I started a garage band called the Night Riders. <laughs> so I, I, I apparently I was I kept trying to get on stage. And then I had an English teacher named Dan Larkin who who said, "Why don't you try out for the senior play, which was Harvey at the time?" And I got the role of the the lead role of Elwood. That was really my first taste of it. After that, I did a Pulitzer Prize winning. There was, a, there was a community theater nearby that did, the subject was Roses, which is this beautiful Pulitzer Prize winning drama. Um, and after, after that, I was, I was just hooked. I decided that was, that was much more fun than writing my own jokes and, <laughs> and playing the banjo and doing stand-up around Buffalo. So I, I drifted off into acting, studied it at, undergraduate at Geneseo for four years and then went to Cornell and got an MFA in it for two years. Then went to New York and did it for another 11 years before I did my first movie. So that's, that's, that's the cliff notes of how I got into acting. <laughs> Let's see. Did you make the jump after Cornell and get cast in Biloxi blues? Biloxi blues was that it took a while. I moved to New York and did just, show after show after show, all off off broadway um and then i did a season at trinity square a theater repertory theater company i did a season down in florida with a rep company i played hamlet at the colorado shakespeare festival there was a lot of jobs out you know acting jobs in the theater before i finally got to broadway which i did in about 85 yeah something like that 85 and then I did Bluxy Blues for a year and a half on Broadway. I got it was all it was all theater before uh, before I did my first movie. And and what led uh, what led to your first role and and jumping making the jump into film? Well, the the, the first movie was uh, Project X, 
with Matthew Broderick and Helen Hunt, uh, where uh, we trained the, I played the head of a research project that trains all these chimps to f fly flight simulators. And then, uh, and then we nuke them with radioactivity and <laughs> see how well they do as they're dying. Um, that was the plot of the movie. But that happened, I, I'm pretty sure that the leap happened because I had just spent a year and a half with Matthew and Biloxi Blues on stage and, um, you know, kind of playing the heavy in Biloxi Blues. Um, so it seemed like a natural jump. They, uh, and, and, and I have to say, it took, me, uh, it took me a few movies to figure out, you know, how to act for, for the camera because it is a, it is a little different. Mm -hmm. Um, a lot of it is the same, but they're, you know, they're trying to take your picture now. <laughs> so, <laughs> so you can't jump around like you used to. If I could ask you something, uh, cause this is really yeah. interesting with the, the stand-up comedy background and the banjo and, uh, you know, the folk band, what, what's it like? And so much of your career has been spent playing the heavy, right? Like these hardcore authoritarian figures, like you, you just, you ooze authoritarianism when you're in that mode what's it like being a guy who who was doing stand-up comedy and playing the banjo and being in a folk band and then acting like that i know i realize it's acting but is it just a little bit odd at some points i you know i think i i think i come by that from my father who uh was a bit of an authoritarian as well or he could he could be when he you know when the kids got out of line he could uh you know, he could tighten up and I don't, I don't really know. I can't, I, the first movies that I did though, with Project X and Hard to Kill, mm -hmm. Hotspot, um, Die Hard 2, I think was, that's like the order of them. And I was the, once Hollywood is like that, once they see that you're good at something, they're, they're happy to, um, you know, keep you, uh, keep you doing that. They, I guess they saw right out of the box that I could, I have an intensity or I could bring an intensity. I could make a, you know, I could, I could be frightening that way. And so they, they cast me that way again and again, even though in my, you know, in my private life, I'm, there's, there are lots of other colors and, um, you know, I still play music and write songs and, <laughs> 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 I'm one of the nicest people I know, I think. But, <laughs> but I was more than happy to use that to get my foot in the door. Um, you know, the diehard twos and so on. And then Bogus Journey came along, which was, it was, an, it was a chance to be funny again, which I had done on stage a lot, but I hadn't, I hadn't yet done it in films, really. So I jumped at it, you know. How did the script come to you? Was your agent like, hey, there's this role. It's not quite what you've been doing, but uh, are you familiar with <laughs> You know, like, how, how did that <laughs> It's not quite. It seems like a natural progression. I killed, I killed chimps in <laughs> Project X. Then I killed all those people as Colonel Stewart and Die Hard 2. Then I killed everybody who ever lived as dead. It's perfect. No, it was a great trend. I think I got, I got the script from my from my agents at the time. And they didn't really know uh, what direction to go with the role, with the role of death. I think they were looking at people like Christopher Lee. They wanted somebody craggy and ancient and scary looking who then 
you know, devolves into a babbling, (laughs) 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 a a funny sort of needy character. Um, So it was really, it was really kind of perfect when the transition, because the Reaper in Bogus Journey starts out being this terrifying figure. You know, you re- you're, you should be afraid of him at the begin when you first meet him. The, the guys have just been murdered, and now, you know, here's death. Right, right. <laughs> um, and but almost immediately when they they challenge him to the games, it just all goes to shit. He's <laughs> he's, he's got uh, he gets petulant, he gets frustrated, he tries to cheat, he you know. It all goes south, and much humor follows. So it was a great transition. We were talking earlier about, uh, you know, when we could first remember seeing you on screen. And for myself, it was actually your role as Dwight in Roseanne. And oh. I find that interesting because I, I remember seeing that, and then Hard to Kill and Die Hard come out, and I'm like, how is this the same guy? Yep. <laughs> so, so really, it made seeing you in the Grim Reaper kind of getting to mix the two uh, as the Grim Reaper getting to mix the two was, was great. You know, it's always been my, I, I just always ask myself, what would Meryl Streep do? <laughs> There's no brighter guiding light than Meryl Streep. I mean, no, yeah, exactly. Exactly. And she's different. She's completely different from one role to another. And so is Dustin Hoffman. And so all my heroes, you know, all my favorite actors, um, take on these characters and get lost in the characters. And the better you can get lost in them, the, the happier the outcome. So, I mean, I've always felt that that's what acting was. I've, you know, and I've been fortunate. They've, uh, you know, they've thrown quite a variety of roles at me. So it's been, <laughs> it's been fascinating. Yeah, it, it's really awesome to watch. I mean, one of the things that's been neat, just a little tidbit about Bogus Journey, is seeing all these folks who just in the past year realized that you had that role as the British guy at the very end of Bogus Journey as well. Like, mm-hmm. I, I, on the Facebook groups and stuff, somebody will pop yes. up every couple of months and like, did you realize that, that William Sadler is also this guy? And I'm like, yeah, dude, we did, but welcome aboard. You know, it's awesome. <laughs> that's, it's funny. That was, I asked for that, actually, oh. because, because I had spent so much time in the makeup chair. It was like three hours of makeup and I was sort of unrecognizable. And I said, is, is there, is there some place in the film where I can, you know, I could show up as a, you know, a clerk in the hardware store or something um, without the makeup. And that's what they came up with. And that's also, that's my wife and daughter. Really? As well. Oh, cool. I, I did not know that. Doing the dance. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, that's fun. What a yeah, neat what a yeah. neat way to get them involved. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It was just a, it was just a sweet little, you know. I, I, I did. I literally I asked them if there was a place I could show up without my makeup for just a second. And uh, that's what they that's what they did. I had read in, in Bogus Journey because you were having to deal with the makeup and that they had to I think there was a lot of effort into the makeup not getting on your robe, that it kind of prevented you from being able to be as social with everyone on set. The rest of the actors. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, you can't you can't really sit down, and you can't you can't lie down. It was it was difficult. The first uh, there's always this flurry because the makeup is white and the robe is black. That the minute you turn your head, you you wipe a little bit of the white makeup off on this 
on this black. And there was always a team of wardrobe folks around me with some kind of toxic chemical. (laughs) They kept wiping the... (laughs) Carbona Carbona or something. It smelled like lighter fluid. And they they would get the white off and then say, action. Well, it was, yeah, it was challenging. We're, we're glad you didn't, uh, you know, get poisoned to death with any bad makeup or, or something. <laughs> yeah. I know that would, you know, that would have sucked. <laughs> Talk about a bummer. Yeah. Um, had, had you had experience with makeup or prosthetics like that before? Was that your first real makeup heavy role? I had in the theater. I had done, I had used, um, you know, fake beards and some of that stuff before, but no, that was my first, uh, that was my first, uh, that was my introduction to prosthetic pieces and ball caps. And I, if I had it to, <laughs> if I had it to do over again, I'd shave my damn head. So they, <laughs> Make so it a little all bit they easier. have to do is they just have to paint it. They don't have, you don't have to wear this bathing cap of uh, latex oh, yeah. or whatever it was. <laughs> Lesson learned. Lesson learned. <laughs> Something that that's fascinating to me. Um, after Bogus Journey, um, Alex Winter does Freaked. Um, was that something that he approached you about during Bogus Journey, or was it like he was doing it and like, "Hey, um, I'm working on this thing. We'd love for you to be a part of it." Like afterwards, how, how did that come together? That, he came. I, as I recall, he came up to me afterwards. Um, he contacted me just just as Bogus Journey was launching, or maybe slightly after that. He was really busy during during the filming of Bogus Journey. Wasn't, he couldn't really focus on this other movie, but uh, but it turned out pretty great. Oh, man. <laughs> yeah. It's so fun. Everybody, everybody did it for nothing, um, and it was just really, uh, it was really fun. And it's, it's funny, my daughter, who's 30 now, keeps bringing it. She keeps wanting Alex to see if we can get it released uh, in DVD or, mm-hmm. you know, streaming or whatever they do whatever you could do with it that resurrected again because yeah. it's sort of a cult classic i guess and i think now's the perfect time for yeah. it i mean like there there have been a couple screenings <laughs> out in la i mean not everybody's doing a lot right now <laughs> you know it would be a perfect time for rhino well, or it, somebody yeah. yeah it would be a great mm-hmm. it would be a great time mm-hmm. <laughs> i th- i thought that was a pretty funny movie i loved the the island of Santa Flan, patron saint of creamy desserts. <laughs> just, just so weird and bizarre and delightful. Yeah. I mean, just like such a fun, yeah. weird yeah. movie. It didn't shy. It just didn't shy away from it at all. He did. I thought Alex did a phenomenal job with that one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you would think maybe Shutter or one of the streaming services could pick that up. Yep, would be yeah. great. Don't you think? I mean, it would probably take off today. It would make some money. Oh, oh for yeah. sure. Around that time, too, um, Shawshank Redemption came out. Yeah. Um, how did you get involved working with Frank Darabont? Uh, I met Frank when I, I, was, I did the very first episode of Tales from the Crypt. Mm-hmm. The pilot. Um, for, for HBO. There were three episodes they shot all at once and released as a, the beginning of that anthology. And mine was the, fir- mine was the first one, The Man Who Was Death. And it really was my introduction to all of those folks, to Walter Hill and um, Bob Zemeckis and and Joel Silver. Shortly after that, cast me as as uh, Colonel Stewart in Die Hard Two. Mm. Um, he was the producer on that. But Frank Darabont was one of the writers on 
Tales from the Crypt. Okay. And he came up to me on the set one day and said, I'm going to do this movie based on a Stephen King's novella called Rita Hayworth and Shawshank Redemption. Uh, and I'd like you to be in it. <laughs> and he gave me, he didn't, he didn't have a script yet, I don't think, but he gave me a copy of the book of the anthology, a different season, I think it's called. And I thought, you know, and, and I thought to myself, sure, you'll, sure you'll make a movie of this because, you know, every cab driver in LA has got to, is going to make a movie. Everybody's sure. Every show is going to Broadway and, and everybody's got a movie that's going to get made. But true to his word, a couple years later, he uh, he was casting it with at Castle Rock, and and it happened. And we spent the summer in Mansfield, Ohio, in a prison, shooting uh, uh, the Shawshank Redemption, which ended up being this sort of amazing cultural touchstone of a movie. Oh, completely! I you know I was I was such a diehard Stephen King fan back then. And, you know, it had always been for years that uh, Stephen King movies were never as good as the book, right? Just yeah. bomb after bomb. And then Shawshank right. Redemption just completely changed that. No, I think Frank did, a, Frank did an amazing job, really an amazing job. And, and it, was, it wasn't his very first movie. I think he'd done maybe a horror movie or something before that. But he, he was pretty green uh, at directing. He for a, for a short time there, Tom Cruise was interested. Lots of people were interested in doing it when there finally was a script. My understanding was that Tom Cruise didn't. Tom Cruise and Frank didn't hit it off. Frank Frank wasn't interested in making you know a Tom Cruise movie, and right. Tom Cruise didn't wasn't interested in a first time director at the helm. I so, think that worked out for everyone. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it it did. It's funny though. Nobody, everybody knew it was a strong story, you know. And it's it's really an amazing. It's a wonderful story. But I don't think anybody realized that it was going to move people the way that it has. That it was going to catch on with audiences. And in, I mean, it opened in the movie theaters and then closed like two weeks later. Um, because nobody nobody went to see it. Uh, it's you know a prison movie with, without Tom Cruise, <laughs> with, with this funny name that doesn't nobody knows what a Shawshank is. <laughs> How do you and redeem one? Vague, yeah, sounds redemption sounds vaguely religious, and it just had lots of things working against it. And then the the nominations came out, and they when it was up for best picture and so on, it was, they put it back out in the theaters. And I think people discovered it on uh, video rentals. I think it became a huge home video thing. Yeah. And it, it, it feels like it's always on cable somewhere yeah. now. <laughs> it, it's the arc of that movie and the story of the movie itself really reminds me of it's a wonderful life where it mm -hmm. came out and people weren't really quite fond of it. And then because it got aired on TV uh, in the holidays and kind of became a staple, people really had the chance to discover it. And I think the same thing happened with Shawshank on like TNT and TBS. I think those channels. I didn't, real mm -hmm. I didn't realize that It's a Wonderful Life had the same, had that 
that trajectory too. Yeah, it, it, in the beginning, it wasn't really uh, people didn't think much of it. It, it was kind right. of in and out of theaters and a footnote. But then it got rediscovered by some uh, guy on a UHF channel and started playing it, and you know, right. it just became a holiday <laughs> staple. Well, well, if you think about it, you go to the movies and you see a you know you see a film, even a great film, you get moved and you you know you laugh, you cry, you kiss your seven bucks goodbye. <laughs> and you go home, but you don't see those actors again for, you know, mm-hmm. it could be years before they pop up again in something else. But when something's in your living room, when a, when a movie happens on your TV, in your living room or your bedroom or where, um, it's all of a sudden, it's a much more personal event. It's like, mm-hmm. it's being, sh- it's being shown just for you. People, I think people react differently. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can you can also if you rent it you can you know you can watch it again it shows up again and again and the repetition helps it's weird it's a weird thing i did all these i did all these movies and occasionally people would recognize me and then i did the tv series uh, roswell and all of a sudden i was in people's living rooms every week in cl- you know in close up and <laughs> <laughs> And that's what happened. They feel, I think, audiences that get to know you on television feel like they they feel like they really know you. I mean, it's a much more uh, intimate sure. relationship than you know. Last April, I went to the movies and saw I forget his name, um, you know, and he was great. <laughs> <laughs> so, let me ask. Uh, you stayed involved with uh, with some of these folks. Uh, you did Demon Knight and Bordello of Blood, right? Which were both Tales from the Crypt productions. And then Frank cast you in Green Mile. Uh, again, a- another one of those Stephen King uh, novels that actually is a, it turns out to be an even better movie. Um, it is maybe not quite as the cultural impact is Shawshank Redemption, but I still think it's a fantastic film, which I think uh, a lot of that was shot here in Nashville, if, if I'm not yeah. wrong, right? Yes. Yeah, it was. It was. It's one of the moments in my my career that um, I don't know how often this happens for people, but where you can point to a, a specific moment when things just took off and, and your career took a, a completely different trajectory. When I auditioned for the Tales from the Crypt, which is where I met, you know, that's what led to Die Hard 2 and Frank Darabont and Shawshank and Green Mile and Walter Hill movie, Trespass that I did oh, and so yeah. on. I, I went in and audition, but the audition for that little TV pilot was at Fox Studio in LA with a casting director named Karen Ray. And I went in, they sent me in to read for the cop at the end of the episode who says his whole role is, Mr. Talbot, you have the right to remain silent. Everything you say can be used against you. And I did, and I read it. I read it for her. And then uh, I said, what's up with the, what's, what's up with the role of Talbot, the, this executioner, you know, the lead guy. And she said, oh, they, they, they want a name for that. They, they're looking at, you know, John Malkovich and Kurt Russell, and they, they're looking for a, you know. And I said, oh, all right, thank you. 
And I left and I got halfway across the parking lot and I hear she stuck her head out the window of the office building and said, Bill, come here. (laughs) (laughs) The window was on the first floor and I came back up to the window and she handed me the sides for Talbot and said, here, come back on Monday at 11 and grease your hair and, and, you know, black out your teeth or something because you're too, you're too cute for this. Um, and I'll put you on tape for Talbot. And she did. I came back, I came back and did the thing on Monday, which was, and Talbot was all monologue, these big long monologues right into the camera, talking to the audience about, you know, electricity and how fun it was. It's clean. <laughs> and he's like, he's got this like devious sort of sense of humor, this really dark sense of humor about executing people. And I did, I did it. He showed it to them and I got the low. I got the role. They paid me, I think $1,700 for the week's work. But it all of a sudden, everybody in that little circle knew who I was. And it's, it's just, I've always found it interesting that I can point to that one moment when she took, I took a chance and asked for it. And she took a chance and said, I'll put them on tape. You know, if it sucks, I won't show it to anybody. (laughs) But, you know, it's not like a star was born, but doors just, doors just started to open that I had, I had no access to before. I had done all this theater in New York. And unfortunately, that doesn't mean much of anything in Los Angeles. (laughs) They want to know. They want to know what you, what was your last film? That's so. That's so neat that you can look back to that moment. Yeah. Um, now, before we get into talking about Face the Music, I wanted to ask you about a couple of projects you did that came out last year. Maybe the best horror movie I've seen in the last ten or twenty years was VFW, and holy. I try to tell as many people as I can about this film because it is so perfectly casted and the story is so great. Uh, how did you get involved in that? And what was it like working with Marty Cove and Fred Williamson and Stephen Lang? And, and did, did you know these guys before? Well, that was really the big, that was the big draw for me was uh, it, it looked like a fun sort of action script. But what I, what I was really excited about was that I, I love the idea of all these old, uh, I'd, I'd worked with Stephen Lang. Um, we did Shakespeare in the Park together in 1976. Wow. <laughs> and, and then he was, <laughs> he was, uh, we were together in, uh, he was in Project X with me, the film with Heaven, Helen Hunt and, and Matthew Broderick. I had worked with Marty Cove on a TV show called Martian. Oh, I forget. Anyway. <laughs> David Patrick Kelly and I did a musical together in New York. So I had, I had, uh, it was really that it was this ensemble of character actors of, you know, wonderful veteran actors who I guess, I guess there could have been, you know, petty jealousies and who's, you know, whose (laughs) name is above who or whose chair is higher, but we were, they had so little money to shoot this thing. And we shot it in like 18 days. Oh, wow. Um, it just, it became this, uh, I don't know, it's hard to describe. We, <laughs> there, was, there was so much love and respect uh, floating around on that set. Um, we, all, we all knew each other 
So there's ad-libbing going on left and right. And we were just, we were just having a ball. And I, and I think it showed, I think the movie, that's the surprising thing about the movie is that this group of vets who come under attack, you believe from the get go that they like each, you know, yeah. there's a, br- there's a brotherhood there. They look, they, there's a brotherhood there. And yeah. as they start to get picked off by the bad guys, it, it hurts, you know, it means, it, it means something. There's something to hook the audience in because these guys so clearly like each other. The relationships are real. Hated to see poor George Went uh, bite the big one there. Spoilers! Early. Spoilers! <laughs> Spoiler alert! Yeah. Um, no, I thought it was a pretty remarkable movie for a. Yeah, you know, it was made. They made it for a dollar ninety-eight. Uh, yeah, I'm, I really. Um, Really hope that gains some some cult status here over the, over the next coming years, <laughs> you know. Um, and then also that year, uh, what really caught my eye uh, because I, th- I think I had seen the Highwaymen prior to VFW. You know, you don't have very many scenes in that. You play Clyde Barrow's father, uh, but right. you have one scene with Kevin Costner that is just a masterclass in acting. Two great actors, toe to toe. Uh, I thought it was fantastic. It it is what I remember from watching that entire miniseries. Thank you. I'm if um if they if people folks who haven't seen it, Henry his name is Henry Barrow, Clive's Clive Barrow's father. He's he knows how the story is going to end. He knows he knows Costner's character is going to hunt down his son eventually, and that's what I was. Uh, <laughs> again, I asked what would Meryl Streep do with this scene. <laughs> Sorry, Meryl. Um, but no, I, it was it was just a beautifully written moment. And he he, what he does is he says, you know, I know I know you're going to do it. Just get do it, do it quickly, mm-hmm. do it fast. You know, it's going to hurt. So just do do it fast. And and I thought that was just a beautiful little moment for a father to to know how his son is going to die and and who's going to do it. You know, point yeah, poignant, poignant little mm-hmm. moment. Really beautifully written and nice. I had no trouble at all sinking my teeth into, or, or imagining myself in a situation like that. I guess that's what I, I guess that's what I do as an actor. Mm-hmm. It's one of the reasons in the Green Mile when I play the father of the two little girls who get murdered. I've often thought that was one of the hardest things I've ever. Uh, I've ever had to do because um, because it's just not fun at all to imagine to to put yourself in that position as a parent. To, what if that was your little girl? All you know, he comes out on the porch and there's blood and the screen's been cut. Uh. And from that moment on, his uh, I can't I can't even imagine how fright how terrified you have to be inside as a parent. You know hoping against hope that it's not what you think it is. That's got to be a tough, a tough <laughs> headspace to get into uh, no, it was, every it day was on awful. set. <laughs> it's an, it's an awful place to be. I remember mm-hmm. thinking they didn't pay me enough for that. <laughs> well, and speaking of death, um, <laughs> nice transition. I, thanks. Thanks. Uh, I've been, I've been saving that one in my back pocket. So, uh, you guys are smooth. <laughs> yeah. Face the music, like there had been rumors about the third Bill and Ted movie for over a decade. Um, we've kind of yeah. covered the how Chris and Ed had convinced Alex and Keanu or everybody gotten together. But at what point 
were you approached or I remember there was a tweet that you had at one point and you're like, guys, I'm all in or something. And the internet exploded, at least Bill and Ted internet <laughs> exploded and we were thrilled. But had you talked to them beforehand or how did that come about? Ed Solomon, one of the writers, Chris Matheson and Ed Solomon did the, did the writing on it. And, and Alex, I think as well on this third one, but Ed contacted me, Ed got a hold of me, you know, 28 years or something after we did Bogus Journey and said, I'm writing a third one. Um, would you be interested in doing it? And I said, absolutely. Because, uh, you know, I, I, had a, I had so much fun playing <laughs> the Reaper in Bogus Journey. Uh, it was just the, the idea of revisiting that character was, uh, you know, I, was, I couldn't pass that up. And um, yeah, and, and there was a, a lot of back and forth I think they had a lot of trouble getting it financed, getting it act- actually getting it together to get it made. In, in my heart of hearts, I was in, I had said yes years before, of course I'm going to do your goddamn movie. <laughs> of, of, of course I'll do it. And then, you know, the negotiations started when they actually got close. And then you have to pretend that, no, of course, no, I couldn't possibly do it for that. Um, <laughs> and you're in a terrible negotiating position because... I've, I've wanted to do another one since we finished the second one. He's just really fun to play. He's oh, a great. Yeah. Oh, he's yeah. a great fun character. Sort of takes over my whole being, and yeah. I can't. I can't shut him up once he's. Uh, once I'm in it, I'm in it. I think there's pretty much no question in most fans' mind, and I'm still getting used to saying that we have a Bill and Ted trilogy now. But I think you're easily the most beloved character in the trilogy. Yeah, Aww. I really do. Yeah, absolutely true. <laughs> absolutely true. Thank you. Um, it, Thank you. It had to be fun, I imagine, to play Death Again, being unburdened of the, the 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 frightening mystique. Like he could just be the weirdo that he <laughs> became at the end of Boca's journey, and he just got to be that weirdo the entire time. Yeah. Well, he uh, right, right. He doesn't have to. He didn't have to be the terrifying figure that he was um, in the first one. We all. We all. The audience already knew who he was, mm-hmm. you know. <laughs> what is he I love show business. <laughs> you, know? Yep. you know, he's like totally hooked. Um, what I really liked about it was the the idea that he had gone off and had a solo career, <laughs> <laughs> where he released albums that were just the bass. It's yeah. just bass, and they didn't sell at all. <laughs> so, it's like he. He tries to have this, um, you know, it was just great. It was like this terrific showbiz story. You know, his his solo career just craters. And now he, he God is punishing him because he, was, he wasn't supposed to let anybody come back. And, <laughs> and everything's, everything's all turned to crap and he's stuck in this place. And no, it was, I, I, I thought that was a really fun uh <laughs> a really fun way to get back to him because at the end of at the end of Bogus Journey, he's in the band. He's right. one of the Wild Stallions, and then they start showing these newspaper headlines and <laughs> and you know death death goes off on his own. You know death in drug rehab. <laughs> it's like he just like falls flat on his face. It was really fun to explore all that. Another really cool reversal that I, I really appreciated in Face the Music was toward the end, uh, your interaction with Anthony Kerrigan 
Dennis Caleb McCoy. And it's almost right. like he has become the death from Bogus Journey and you are kind of guiding him into the, like, trying to guide him into how to be cool. Kind of like Bill and Ted did for, <laughs> for death in the second one. With, with, with just a smidge of that petty, like, you're not going to be replacing me in the band. <laughs> like, hold your horses. <laughs> just, just go over there and rehearse your dance. <laughs> That's I thought that too. I thought I thought his character he he was he was brilliant at that character too. He was and and it could not have been easy at all under all of that gear. Oh. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But he found this really lovely vulnerable childlike uh, thing that was so endearing. Um but again, he's just like the reaper in Bogus Journey. He starts out being the killer robot. He's he's being sent to murder them. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He's the he's the threat, and little by little he gets sucked into the band. He gets sucked into the, you know, <laughs> the bill. He gets sucked into the Bill and Ted world, and yeah, Re- resistance is futile. Yeah. You know, you, you. exactly, exactly. <laughs> he, he ends up being as uh, you know as beloved as anybody. Did you ever have a day on set where you're like, man, at least I don't have to put on all that crap. Like looking at Anthony Kerrigan because <laughs> I just can't imagine. <laughs> oh, I, I had I had a fair amount of crap. On yeah, yeah, yeah. I was, but yeah, no, I did. My, <laughs> I felt I felt bad for him. It was, a, you know, I don't I don't think it was easy to sit down. It was New Orleans in yeah. August, <laughs> brutal. Which is, oh my god, I've never felt humidity like that. It's <laughs> remarkable. We were shooting at night, and. Uh, the temperature never went down at all. It was like, <laughs> you know, 98 degrees at night. <laughs> you're just like, you're just pouring sweat. Anyways, I'm glad, I'm really glad we got to make the third one because I, I, I also felt that it, it, it rounded out the, the whole trilogy. Mm-hmm. It became a trilogy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and they had, <laughs> you got to see how it ends for them, for, for Bill and Ted. Yeah, I, I really think it was done right. The other week we spoke with uh, the music supervisor for Face the Music. His name's Jonathan Leahy. And he pointed out something to us that we did not realize. And, and wondering if, if you realize this, uh, in the film you, ha- you do bass air guitar. And that is the only air guitar that's not Bill and Ted in the entire trilogy. And we just thought that that was a, a great touch. Oh, I didn't. No, I didn't realize. That. <laughs> Which it's it's kind of a beautiful little grace note because it shows that death really is in the band. Yeah. He is one of them, you know. Just, well, he was until he started doing those forty minute bass solos. <laughs> death, death was just misunderstood, just like uh, you know Billy and Thea. I said, know. So. I know. Like, <laughs> I, I heard, or maybe maybe I read somewhere you actually injured yourself on the set, like one of the first days. Is that accurate? Why, yes, it is. <laughs> <laughs> Um, you know, because I'm old and I don't know if you've ever seen the shoes. They're like, they have soles like this big. They're huge. So that I'm six something or other. And the very first take of the very first scene that we shot on uh, Face the Music, I'm doing hopscotch. That's what they were, he's supposed to be doing hopscotch out in the yard. And um, I tripped on my robe. It was just a little too long. And I fell and sprained this wrist, my right, uh, I caught, I just fell bad on it. I I landed on it and it swole up and yada, yada. They had a break for, break for lunch. And when we came back, we, we could continue shooting because I hadn't, you know, 
I wasn't dead, but, <laughs> but, but yeah, but it, I mean, if you look close, my one hand is much bigger than the other. Hand. Wow. <laughs> well, thank you for playing through. We yeah, appreciate yeah. that. What are you going to do? <laughs> right. You know. So, uh, we know that recently you, you were in the Comey rule that that was most excellent. What was that like playing Michael Flynn? <laughs> Um, that was, that was more fun than, than you might imagine. I, I, I don't know what's up with that guy. I, my, and I don't think his story is completely written yet, but, but that was, but that was fun to do. I like being, uh, you know, I, I suppose that falls into the, I've played military men. I've played generals. I, I can have that, you know, I can do that authoritarian, uh, no nonsense sort of military dude and you buy it. But my favorite part was uh, when he's lying to the FBI. I think he's eating a donut at the time, and and they're in, and they intercut it with, you know, he's they say, "Did you ever talk to him about this?" And he says, "No, I don't. I don't think I. No, no." And then they cut away to him actually talking to, you know, <laughs> doing exactly the thing that he said he hadn't done. Yeah, <laughs> um, that was really that was fun to do. I felt like I was doing my my civic duty. Part of what we do as actors is we tell the story of our time. Um, and that's clearly one of the stories of our time. I also do the voices of uh, Mitch McConnell and so on in uh, our cartoon <laughs> president, uh, which is a cartoon show that Stephen Colbert mm -hmm. uh, produces. And that was great. You know, I did Jeff Sessions and John <laughs> Kelly. And, How's Jeff Sessions? And he was really fun to do, you know, because, well, sometimes being a senator is fun, but <laughs> it can be very trying at times. And, and he was just, it was just, it's just a chance to poke fun at, at power, you know, yeah. which is necessary in these times. You have to, you have to be able to puncture these pompous fools yes. sometimes, you know? Yeah. Yeah, uh, absolutely. So you're obviously very talented at uh, voice work, and you'd, you'd done a Fallout game a while back, right? Do you, do, you, do you see yourself doing more voice work? I mean, especially in like these weird and uncertain times? or Yeah, I'm still doing the cartoon president mm -hmm. voice, voice stuff. I would love to do, I would love to do more, um, more voice work. There, it's fun, and it's safe, and, and you don't have to travel. I have my own, I sort of have my own setup now. Um, there's no makeup. <laughs> there's no make. There's there's no makeup. <laughs> what? Um, I've been doing it wrong. <laughs> I don't have to. I don't have to dress for it. I don't. I don't have to travel anywhere. Um, yeah. No. I would love to do. If anybody out there is listening, I would love. I would, I love doing voiceover work. Um, and I and I've never done a lot of it. Well, I also just did a film. I just finished a film called Shrine. Gosh, I'm a busy actor. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so tell us a little bit about Shrine. It's um, it's a horror movie. It's scary as hell. Um, screen gems. Uh, Sony thing. We started filming. It's like, I guess, I know, it's hard to say it's like The Exorcist because, uh, but it, but it's, it's, it's in that world. Okay. I play a cat. I play a Catholic priest who's got a uh, like a stepdaughter, an adopted. His, he adopts his sister's child, and um, 
the uh, I don't want to give away. There's real evil um, hidden on the property of this church, and doesn't end well for some of us. <laughs> <laughs> but any idea when when that's scheduled to come out? I mean, I, I know all release dates are. are crazy yeah. weird right now so that's a, a dumb question i, I retract just, it that's... I, have n- I have no idea but it's a good it should be a re- it should be a really good scary film mm. you know i'm a i'm a sucker for those uh you know priest priest priests dealing with demons uh sort of films and i was raised episcopalian too oh, I'm not mm, even me, me too me too but it but it <laughs> I remember when I first saw The Exorcist, it just scared the crap out of me. Yeah, it's an all-time classic. <laughs> you know, now, I'm not saying this is an all-time classic that we've made, but it might Bill Sadler you know, says Shrine is an all-time classic. <laughs> I think it's, I think it's, I, it has all the ingredients of a really scary ride. <laughs> I will say that. Awesome. So, cool. Well, I, I love this time of year because there's always so many... There's so much Bill Sadler we can watch, uh, you know, around Halloween. Um, <laughs> and, uh, and speaking of Halloween, last last Halloween, my my co-host here uh, dressed up as the Grim Reaper uh, when you're in heaven with the uh, was it the, oh, with the dress on? Yeah, I've got the lavender. We'll, dress we'll have that. to send you a picture. He <laughs> melvined me. Yes. <laughs> there we go. There we go. Oh it's, it's it's on the Zoom now. If you can oh, see it. Oh man, <laughs> dude, that's that's fantastic. Yeah, this has been phenomenal. We can't thank you enough for taking the time to talk with us. Uh, it's been great. My pleasure. My pleasure. Oh, I should mention my um, I've um, I've started a YouTube channel called William Sadler the Kitchen Tapes. If you Google. If you Google that, the kitchen tapes or <laughs> William Sadler, the kitchen tapes, um, I think that's how you'll find. It. Okay, but, yeah, we will, we will. Uh, oh man! But I tell stories and I sing songs that I wrote, and uh, it's a great way to kill a half hour or so. Yeah, I'd love to spend time in your kitchen with you. You know, it sounds great. It's this very kitchen. <laughs> Dude, we just talked to death. Oh, man. I was so close to saying, how's it hanging, Bill? But I did not. I did not, and I don't regret it. I think professionally it was the correct choice, but um, what a nice guy. Yeah. I think he would have he would have taken it in stride like that entire interview. It was a great yeah. conversation. Yeah. Um, we learned so much. What is blowing my mind here is is how much that role in the Tales from the Crypt series did for the rest of his career. Oh, yeah, Met Joel Silver, ended up in Die Hard. Mm-hmm. Uh, met Frank Darabont, ended up in Shawshank Redemption and the Green Mile. Yeah, it, it just incredible how a career can snowball like that. And and this guy is a master class actor. Yeah, uh, you know, was in a, a, a Neil Simon play for God's sake. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you know, to see some to see that type of thing pay off for a guy who's worked so hard is right. just great. I mean, yeah, because this is this isn't one of those overnight success stories. He was working for years. He, like I wouldn't say grinding it out, but doing like incredibly thoughtful work on stage for a very long time. And then one conversation, one question that he had the guts to ask and it turned everything up to 11 for him. And if there's not a lesson there for all of us, then I don't I don't know what there is. <laughs> So cool, so nice. Um, yeah. How how cool was it to hear him talk about working with, 
you know, legends like Marty Cove and yeah. uh, Stephen Lang. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's great. Um, you know, and I, I can't wait to check out those kitchen tapes. That's got to be a lot of fun, right? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, if I could just have the opportunity once a week to sit down and chill and listen to, to Bill Sadler uh, sing me a song or, or tell me a story, all in. Yeah, yeah. All yeah. That, in. That's a YouTube series I'm subscribing to. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, our listeners couldn't see it, but on the Zoom call, he was in that same kitchen, yeah. and it is a lovely kitchen. Yeah, it's very, very well put together. <laughs> he would do great on Room Raider. Um, so, got to thank Michael Leeds. He, he put that together for us. Uh, Dude, we, he's, he is hitting home run after home run with uh, getting interviews for us. We <laughs> Guys, I, I'm not going to say any more right now, but these are two happy dudes in the studio right yeah, now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, happy enough that we're, you know, facing COVID to come in and wear masks and sit behind plexiglass, but just to get in and, and do this thing right. So kudos to you, uh, Michael. Thank you so much. Thank you. We own this town. Thank you, Scott Bricklin for, and Scooby Tunes music for the use of walk away as our theme song. Yeah. And, uh, you know, Kelly, be excellent to each other. Party on dudes. All right, so uh, here you go. Here's our interview with William Sadler. Let's just do this whole intro over again. This <laughs> fucking blows. <laughs> sorry. <laughs> Can we give it one more shot? Maybe? Yeah, sure. sure. <laughs> sorry. <laughs> At least we got our tag. Remember when we made a worse intro than the first one we made? <laughs>